First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political snail, Kobe Omanaka. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and political giant tortoises, Captain mm. yeah. and cool. Diane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> slow, slow beasts. We're all slow beasts, yeah. but you guys have got the big shells, you know. You're... Yeah. Yeah, they're cool shells. Yeah. Yeah. And win the race, yeah. often win the race by... Yeah, exactly. If the hair I'm falls I'm not sure asleep. how frequently they do. I mean... The hair's got to learn from that, right? In round two, the hair, the hair goes all the way. If it's best of three, you would think tortoise is lost. <laughs> Slow instead, it gets there though. You know, there's consistency. People appreciate that. Uh, and also, if they saw a giant tortoise on the street, people say, "Hey, wow, let's stop and take pictures." If there's a hair on the street, go past it. No one cares. <laughs> that, that, that's true. People be like, "Oh, look, it's a hair." That's cool. We all see rabbits now and again. You see very few hairs. I think I'm most excited. people, most people will say that's a rabbit when they see hair. They're ginormous. <laughs> They're huge. Are they? Yeah. They're yeah. much bigger Goes than a rabbit. Goes to Wikipedia. <laughs> hair versus rabbits. <laughs> Listen to how confrontational you are. You want to find out the difference. You're like, hair versus rabbit. Fight. Fight. <laughs> right, chill, man. This is almost as contentious as the uh, threads versus Twitter fight, which we're witnessing today. We'll see who maybe will be victor by the end of this weekend, hopefully. No, it's a long-term battle. Twitter's not going anywhere. No one's leaving Twitter today. Everyone's joining threads, but no one's leaving yeah. Twitter. There's a lot of memes that have Zuckerberg in front of a, in front of a graveyard uh, with a Twitter logo on it. Oh, really? Mm. Well, we are on there, so that's good news. So if you haven't got had enough of us on any other channel, get on Instagram threads. And we're going to be doing, we're doing different things on there. We're just kind of talking about what we're thinking rather than cross-posting. There's no point in doing the same thing on Instagram as we are on threads. So threads is an opportunity to, for us to kind of say the things that are on our mind, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see how it goes. There will be a different kind of vibe, timbre, texture to threads as is to Twitter and uh, certainly to Instagram, but let's see. Let's uh, you know. Let us know what you learn, guys. Could it be interesting to see how best to use a platform to reach other people, new audiences, and engage better with their existing audiences as well? As always, guys, we go through the most popular posts of the week. This is the first part of the podcast. Tatum, what is the third most popular post this week? In at three, we've got uh, Just Stop Oil protests. They're trying really hard. Sorella Braverman had a really big meeting with everybody, and it clearly went really well to stop the protests because, like, the next day, 
there were two separate protests at Wimbledon. These ones cunningly got by without the uh, powder, but they had environmentally friendly confetti and strangely jigsaw pieces. Pieces of a jigsaw. I presume that you can just get a jigsaw into places. Aha, look, I, I just want to spend my time making a picture out of small pieces of picture. Well, sometimes rain stops play at Wimbledon, so you've got to let people have their own alternative diversions if that happens. <laughs> you do. And jigsaw. You do. Could and jigsaw's clearly fine. Also, confetti. Listen, I, do, I like... Well, I don't want to get into the kind of arguments for Just Stop Oil, but if we're trying to stop protests, I think Just Stop Oil are doing a really, really clever thing because they're targeting low security. They weren't on centre court. You ain't getting onto centre court, but there's kind of smaller outdoor courts that they that they targeted. Easier cricket, easy. Like you can't have people every two meters on the boundary of cricket. When the Premier League starts, not a chance, right? Not a chance. So I don't know what Suella Braveman said in those meetings, but anything she says is going to cost money. More stewards is going to cost money. Most of these sports aren't making that much money. So what's the government going to pay? No, of course they're not. Stopping single people who know how to disguise themselves from doing these things is really really hard and it seems to me and i'm sorry suella it seems to me that there's just trying to look like you're doing something every single one of these events knows these protests are coming so she doesn't need to tell them that she doesn't need to share good practice because they all know what the good practice is so unless she's putting police officers on the boundary Unless she's supplying more money or more staff or something, then what's the point? There's no way they're going to stop just to boil people protesting in the small but significant ways they're doing. Even when Premier League happens, starts, there's going to be tens of thousands of people in a stadium. If these guys are going there with a different variety of ways to uh, disrupt a match or an instance... There's no way to understand. There's no way to know what's going to happen. No one would have foreseen environmentally friendly confetti before today. So no, but Kobe, they're used to people trying to get on the pitch. Yeah, they have stewards literally every meter around the ground. Those stewards have been trained for years to stop pitch invaders. But it doesn't need to be something on the pitch necessarily. Does it just needs to be? It could be a disruption in the crowd. I'm not. I don't want to give you ideas. Just to apologize. <laughs> Who's going to notice? <laughs> if you're you're at the away end yeah. in Luton. Who's going to notice a disruption in the crowd? Those crowds are going to be going wild. Mm. Like, like and oh, someone's just a particularly big fan of whoever it is. Yeah. It's a funny one. It's just how much effort does the government want to put in versus, you know, how much impact these are having? Because like yesterday, ball boys and girls ran on, got tidied up. The play continued. How much do you really want to invest in that? And the protests that aren't making the headlines are the slow walking protests. The, the, the media is bored of reporting on that, but they're happening every day. And the police now have the right to get them off the road, which they didn't before, because if you're just walking down a road, that's not breaking the law. But they've made they found a way to uh, to allow them to get them off the road. So it doesn't last very long, but they do it like peak rush hour time. So you better believe it's causing disruption. Those are the ones that 
actually have a real impact. They are now shorter, but they're having a real impact. These sporting event ones are just about headline grabbing. And there, there are, I got all the notifications for the first one and because everyone wants the pictures. And then you get the second one that happened. It's like, it's happened again. And so from your tiny audience live to your, let's face it, how many people are watching Court 18 live, even if it was an English player, which obviously gets more viewers here, but then it gets clipped and shared on socials and and on the six o'clock news it was on yesterday. And suddenly millions and millions and millions of people are seeing it. So, yes, it gets cleared up quickly, but it absolutely achieves their aims. How much resources to stop them? I mean, it's hard. Like, the amount of resources you'd need. Yeah, so who knows? On to the second most popular post, Diane. Okay, let's talk weather. We love talking about the weather. Everyone does. Mm. Um, so, and this was the official Met Office stats that came out this week that said June was the hottest on record. I mean, these records go back about 180 years. Basically, it's the average temp was, was the hottest, was the warmest at 15.8 degrees. And it's just been such a fascinating post in terms of reaction to this I think it falls into a couple of categories (laughs) so you've got the first set of people who are like way barbecues woo sun emoji loving it (laughs) okay that's set one you've got the second set who even though this data is from the Met Office who I have no reason to believe are shady at all People who say it definitely wasn't the hottest because I remember that on Tuesday the 13th, I had to put a fleece on. So it definitely, definitely didn't happen. <laughs> and so there are other people who don't understand how averages work. Is that the, yeah. is that the second camp? Well, listen, I mean, it's just people, people say the strangest thing. I saw someone, one of the first comments we had said that this is playing into the hosepipe ban lobby. Right. Right? Like... Like there's this evil cabal of people who are really keen on hosepipe bands to suit their nefarious ends. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> who who benefits from this hosepipe ban? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and then the but the third and final group take this seriously, okay? And and since since these figures came out, you know, there's been several other articles about what what that actually means, and the ones that kind of make me a little bit anxious about things are the ones that talk about for example what that little rise in temperature because you know we might all not notice it we might just be like oh we can shed a layer in June isn't you know that's nice but you know the little increases in temperatures what that's doing to aquatic life in particular you know depriving ponds and streams of oxygen and the impact that's having on species and insects and ah that kind of thing really does does make me concerned so but it's again it's a funny one tatin correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think there was a, a an urgent question this week on the hottest temps in june you know i don't think anyone's kind of shouting about this too much but it's happening it's important to note that the the rain was part of it too in wales it was 51 percent of their average rainfall which is still a lot of rain because it's wales but 51 (laughs) percent of the average rainfall that's that's disastrous Mm. for how we live and what we need and yeah it's all a mess 
Should we move on to the most popular post, tying in with a big monumental event that happened this week? Tatton was number one. The NHS was 75 years old this week. You can't have escaped that. And we wanted to celebrate the 75th anniversary by just sharing our stories about how great the NHS was. I mean, on here we've shared, we've talked, we've spoken about nurses and our gratitude for various things before. It was nice because I was just entirely selfish and just wrote about me because that's, you know, the kind of egocentric guy I am. But uh, Diane and Charlotte shared, shared uh, how they looked after other people as well and family members and they've just been there and you know what it was a lovely post we all enjoyed writing it we all enjoyed putting it together and people really liked it as well it resonates with a lot of people it's interesting to look at stories and on stories on instagram you can share kind of individual this is a carousel post and you can share on stories which page you of the carousel you'd like to put up on your story and it was really interesting there was a real mix of the three of us i mean some people would share all three but and and then and then also people the last slide in this carousel was just a little thank you nhs kind of picture i put together people like to share each one of those four kind of in equal measure people read them and different ones of our stories resonated and they wanted to share it and we had one request to put these posts up on a hospital ward to make the staff feel valued on there it's really nice it's really touching we love the nhs we can talk about maybe one day we'll have time to go into depth about how on earth we're going to move it forward in an aging population with more expensive drugs coming available all of these things that's not for today today is just a chance to say thank you very much and we love you <laughs> so there's a little tear coming out there Tatton. NHS has been a huge part of my life as well through through to today. It's just a monumentally fantastic institution. And, it, you know, when it turned 75, a tear shadows, you know, that happened a couple of days ago. And we, we've talked here so many times about it, just how much it means to us here on this podcast, the whole nation, really hope that we can somehow get that to work together going forward because we, we definitely, definitely, definitely benefit from, from it in many, many different ways. And... Come on, guys, let's get it together. Let's get it together. Okay, the second part of the episode is the mailbag. That's the chance for you guys as the listeners of this podcast and the readers of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now Threads <laughs> to ask your questions. Diane, what do we have this week? We've got a really good question, which is around the makeup of Parliament. It's from Zoe, who's on Instagram, and she said the House of Commons currently only has 34% of seats filled by women MPs. How do you think this figure could be improved to make the House more representative of the population? She has some suggestions, but rather than put those in your mind, Tatton, I'm just going to see what you come up with anyway. Well, thank you very much. So it's a really interesting question. It's so interesting, in fact, that uh, I've written about it in uh, my new book. I don't know if you know that uh, <laughs> I've got a new book coming out. It's called Politics But Better. And it's an A to Z book. And uh, B, B in the A to Z is boys like me. Because I am a slightly posh white man. And I get asked all the time if and when I'm going to run for parliament. Like all the time, people want to know, oh, you're in politics. Oh, when are you going to run for parliament? And my understanding, speaking to other people, purely anecdotal, is that if you don't 
tick all those boxes, those questions just don't come up as much, right? You're not, you're not confronted with that. And there is this concept, this kind of picture it might be changing, but I think if you went into your local primary school and asked asked year year five to to draw a picture of a politician, almost all of them would draw a white man. To fix this, we've got to have a whole culture shift, because there are some countries that have proportional representation, where if there's a list of candidates, you can make sure those lists are half women. Right, it's really easy to to not engineer it, but just to make it representative. But what we have is a first past the post system, where in each area the local members choose their candidate, and then the public vote between those candidates. And it's 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 very very hard to make that put in quotas or do anything like that. So. What was tried a long time ago in the 90s were women-only shortlists, right, where Canada, where the local party could only choose from a group of uh, selected approved women for one of them to be the candidate. But, I mean, the Conservative Party, um, like, were not fans. They called it abs- wild political correctness, which was the, t- the term they used to use for woke today, right? And some men, male men, took the Labour Party to court because they felt they were discriminated against because they wanted to stand to be MP in the area. And this is democracy and their, and their, their rights were challenged by that. So women only short this kind of uh, went out the window. And then you've, you've got this day called Ask Her to Stand once a, once a year, persuading more women to stand. Do you know what? Mary Black resigned from Parliament this week saying it's toxic and horrible. So you've got this push and pull factor. You've got the women finding it hard to get selected when they do because people expect politicians to be white men generally. A lot of people do. And you've also got the fact that it's a horrible place to be, especially if you're a woman. So fewer people want to stand and fewer people want them to stand. So that's where our problem is. We've got these two key problems. How to fix that is a lot harder. It's a generational shift. It's about changing attitudes. It's about improving parliament, politics for a better team. It's about making everything more welcoming. And then women feel like they can stand in a more reasonable way. So I've got no no quick fixes unless we just move to proportional representation, in which case it's much, much easier to just draft lists of people in a more equal way. Apart from that, which wouldn't be a particularly quick shift, it would be a very long time to happen. But I've got no quick answers, but I think understanding the causes is a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the culture is a huge thing for me, but on the record, I've never been asked to be an MP or stand to be an MP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you know, we go. Just there we go. Just weeding. But um, culture is a huge thing. Even if you look at PMQs and you know the setup of it and the, the kind of shitiness and the uh, mm, it, culture for me, I think the, that that pull factor that that's going to make people want to be an MP is paramount. And and it's not just women. Obviously, we want more diversity in Westminster in total. You know. So I think it's got a job to do, I think, to make it feel like a workplace that people want to be and aspire to be in. I think it's also worth looking at 
women in government. You look at Theresa May, you look at Margaret Thatcher, you look at Liz Truss, our female prime ministers, and they are all tough women. I think that one of the only ways you can succeed if you are a woman is to then be tough and be able to deal with all of that stuff. So we've got a huge variety of personality types of men, but a smaller variety of personality types of women, which again, if you're looking at, we talked about Suella Braveman earlier, you might not see yourself in her. Whereas for men, there's often somebody you can see yourself in, maybe. From your Corbyn's to your Sunaks. I mean, I've laughed about this plenty, about Liz Truss's short period in Parliament. Uh, I wonder how much that affects things going forward. And that's, for me, I was gutted that I'm not particularly on her side, but also as a non-male leader, I would have hoped that she'd done the best job to give people something to aim at, to aspire to. And it does, it does on that level, it does make me feel gutted that she was in for such a short period of time. With Kobe, with a black chancellor. Yeah. So both of those people at the helm didn't hold themselves to the highest level that we would want for people who were leading the country. That is fundamentally gutting. Hopefully more people get a chance. Hopefully people from other sides of the party line of different genders, races, LGBTQ affiliations have an opportunity, are able to represent the country and themselves and the constituents better. But we, I just don't think we've had in the past five years that best opportunity, best example of that in Parliament. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Okay, so we do actually have two questions this week. Diane. Yeah, okay. So this one's from Lorna. Lorna has actually worked with prisoners. And we did a post recently um, where a new law was in place where they're going to try not to release people on a Friday because there's a very short window to be released on a Friday, go and get some support before the weekend. And that can lead to people reoffending because they haven't got anywhere to go. And they end up, you know, tapping up people that they knew from previous. And, you know, it's just that kind of spiral. So that was a good thing. And Lorna thought that was a good thing, but said, she really wants it to go further because if you serve a full sentence, so you're not on probation, you've served your full sentence and you get released from prison, you sort of fall through this net of support. You don't get support. And she wonders how we can pick those people up, basically, and, and help them when they're very vulnerable, but they inspire very little sympathy from the public. So a fantastic question. I mean, it's such an interesting question. We have to be quick on it because we already answered one question and we... I mean, I banged on about that for too long. But this is a really, really important question because when prisoners come out of prison, they have served their sentence. The judge says, this is your punishment. And it is still seen as a punishment rather than an opportunity to, uh, to help. This is your punishment. Your punishment's done. I've got in my area, there is somebody who served, I think, 13 years for, I don't know what, what it was, but some kind of child sexual offence right? Uh, something horrific to have served that long. But he has served that long. And he's been risk assessed. And he's come out 
into his old house, apparently, every window is smashed every day. And graffiti is all over his house. And what is he to do? He has served his time. Presumably, there's been a set element of rehabilitation. If you're a threat, then they still have, they can still keep you, or they can do do whatever, and they'll be keeping to. And like he's done something awful. I don't know what it is, but what's he to do now? How can he live a life now? I've got no answer to that, but it just demonstrates the issues that we've got in place. And the lack of sympathy and empathy we have for real life humans who made a mistake, maybe made a mistake 15 years ago. And they come out, I think I agree with Lorna, I don't know the specifics, there is no support for people who have finished their sentences. And the way to solve it, she says, how do we tackle the problem? And Lorna, we tackle the problem with money. We tackle the problem by setting up clear support for these specific prisoners. But there is no money. And as again you said, Lorna, this is a group who voters do not care about. Spending money on prisoners, on ex-cons, to use that phrase, what a horrible phrase, isn't politically viable because there's so little money these days. And if there's a question of spending a bit more money to give all primary school children free school meals, which is which is what's in the papers just today, or spending that money, and maybe it's less expensive, but spending that money on more services for people who have done their time, it's always going to go free school meals. And maybe that's the right decision. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm not commenting on the rights and wrongs of it. But it is, there is very, 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 very limited money. And it's so easy for politicians to not spend it on prisoners. And, you know, that's clearly quite problematic. And one has to sympathize and empathize with people who come out. I mean, imagine how badly prepared you are for the world anyway after 15 years inside you probably you know still think manchester city are rubbish like if you've been away no like it's it, it's tough it's a really tough question and the way to do it is campaigning getting out there talking about people's stories getting people on side speaking to mps doing all the things that campaigns do and look and look what can happen we've just got a law that stops people being released on friday that's because of campaigning. It does make a difference. It can change things. And we've got to start from somewhere. Let's head on to the third part of the podcast. That's the PM Watch. The spies from Diane Tassin and Charlotte been focused on Rishi as always. Last week we talked about the liaison committee. I'm sure, I'm hoping mm. that some of that will come to fruition. Oh, it was so fun. I love the liaison committee. It was so fun. They all sat there and they asked him questions and he battered them about. It was, I mean, that was, that's what you'd expect. Were you quite happy that a lot of uh, the cricket was kind of rained off? You could spend more time on the liaison committee. You see, this is the great thing about having a phone as well as a, <laughs> as well as a, a computer. You can, uh, you're all set. So what, what came out, I mean, what really came out for me was um, the Rwanda policy. He's got nothing if it doesn't come through. It's the big idea, right? He, it's, it's, this is the big idea. 
if it doesn't go through the Supreme Court, Supreme Court say no, and nobody knows what they're going to say. It's so right there on a knife edge, this decision. Nobody knows. But if the 50% chance that that doesn't get through, is he going to refer it to the European Court of Human Rights? Is is he going to do that? I I mean, that would be a dodgy thing to do in a post-Brexit world, but also he needs to get it through. If he wins, the people taken to court will definitely send it up again to that European court. And so it's hard. It's really, really hard. But if it doesn't happen, he's not given us any, well, it's okay if that doesn't happen, we'll just do this. So, I mean, maybe, presumably backstage, they're working on something. They have to be working on something in case this is deemed illegal and they can't do it. They must be. But he is not. (laughs) talking about it. I mean, all the eggs, you know. all the eggs are in this one big basket. <laughs> it's been a really fragile basket. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a it's a basket where one handle may or may not break on the way home. Mm. Like again, not I'm not talking about the morals of it or supporting each side, but if if you've got a plan that's only 50% likely to happen, you got to have another one. You've got to have another plan. Yeah. And he's still, I mean, yeah, they've got to be working on it. Mm, But that could be another third country, right? It could be. If Rwanda's not a goer, then is there another deemed safe third country? There was, I can't remember, they talked about them. Yeah. There were three others that were mentioned. And I think at least two of them said, no one's spoken to us about it. (laughs) Not sure we'd do it. (laughs) But the spitballers at 10 Downing Street had clearly done a bit of thinking Mm. and come up with three others. If a plane ever leaves to Rwanda, I think that'd be quite an amazing, well, it'd be, it would be an amazing achievement to get through all of these things. Again, I'm not talking about the morality of it. I mean, coming up with, some, with this idea and then getting it through the Commons, which isn't going to happen. The Lords, could, the Lords defeated it 20 times, so it's back in the Commons soon. Getting it through the parliament, getting it through the courts, getting it through past all the appeals, and then the individual appeals, because yeah. that first flight's going to have, yeah. what, 40, 50 people on, mm-hmm. and there will be 40, 50 people appealing against that. Now, the law as it stands says no appeals, but the Lords have just put an amendment that said you can appeal it. It will be a huge deal if a plane ever ever takes off to Rwanda and if I had to guess I would say we're never going to see a plane (laughs) go to Rwanda I just can't it's so complicated and it's so hard it's not it's not gonna happen that could make or break Rishi Sunak though right because it's a key policy for him well yes he would need to that plan B that he may or may not be working would on. Would need to be secretly, bloody good. <laughs> right? Would need to be bloody good. But also it needs to be rolled out well before the October election. He'll need to be clear at the end of this year whether it's going to happen or not. And then say, fine, bending it off. We've got a brand new plan, whatever that may be. We're going to ship them to Australia because uh, <laughs> that's what they used to do. That's that's what they used to do. But make sure they're no good at cricket first. <laughs> they have to have a cricket trial, and then they can stay. And if not, they they can go in the boat. 
I mean, who knows? Who knows what the next plan will be? I mean, presumably, I mean, on a serious level, presumably it'll be even more cooperation with the French, even more patrols and what to do. And the question of what to do when you find a small boat in the middle of the channel, you can't turn it round safely. These boats aren't, aren't strong enough to go back again often. And then if you pick them up, you can't really, t unless, you ha unless we have an agreement where we take them all back to France. And oh my goodness, France are going to charge us a lot of money for that agreement, if that's the agreement we have. So yeah, who knows? Let's get to the fourth part of the podcast. That's the crystal ball. But before we get there, just want to remind everyone that we are going to be doing a live show as part of London Podcast Festival. That is on Friday, the 15th of September at King's Place. So right in central London, two minutes walk from King's Cross Station. And if you want to get the tickets, go to kingsplace.co.uk and type in Simple Politics Podcast or go to the bio that is in our Instagram account, our Threads account, Facebook account and Twitter and click on the links there and get your tickets and we will see you there. And there should be some fun stuff happening as well. Is there anything else to add to that, Diane and Tatum? Oh, it, it will just be brilliant. And we want to see people come <laughs> on. That, you yeah. Know, yeah. Can't, we'd, like, we'd love to do it. I think it's going to be rubbish. <laughs> Lies. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to have a laugh. We're going to chat to the audience. I mean, you know, if that really sounds like something you'd like to do, then definitely come along if it sounds like literally the worst thing you can imagine. I'd stay away. That's, uh, those are my top tips for those two groups of people. Okay, on to the crystal ball. Dan, what's in your crystal ball? Right, so this goes a little bit beyond the UK stuff, but it is a big NATO summit next week. Rishi will be doing his international bit, shaking lots of hands, getting lots of pictures. And before that, Joe Biden is going to do a whistle-stop tour, pop over to London before they all go to NATO. And he's going to meet King Charles and probably spend a bit of time with Rishi as well. But So, you know, lots, lots of international schmoozing next week for the PM. Yeah. And he won't be at PMQs. Tatum, what's in your forecast for next week? Well, I mean, we've got we've got the junior doctors five day walkout, seven a.m. on the thirteenth to seven a.m. on the eighteenth. I mean, if that's that's a huge long time for them to be out. There will still be some junior doctors in hospitals. I think they've had a Christmas Day service that that kind of level of of junior doctor attendance, but for five days in a row. Yeah. Even just being at home on Christmas, five days a row is too much. Yeah, so it, like that's going to have an impact. It's going to have an impact on things. Operations and appointments will be cancelled. We're just seeing now the length of patience with the public, how the public going to feel. We've all been celebrating the 75th anniversary of the NHS, but the junior doctors are still asking for 35% pay rise, and they're not going to get that even if you can justify it, they're not going to get that. And like all the other unions at the moment, they're not talking. These are negotiation strikes to say we mean it, but they're not even talking. The government, I don't know which one of them is refusing to sit down at the table. They both say it's the other, but they're just waiting because the junior doctors are saying, you put down an offer that we can even begin to talk about and we'll meet you. And the minister is saying, you stop striking 
and we'll meet you. And we're at this impasse that one of them, one of them has to break or else we're nowhere. And there is a time bomb on this because like it's bad for students, for teachers to be striking, but they need to strike and do all that. And that, that kind of goes all year round. Rail is the same all year round. Last winter was the busiest winter the NHS has ever faced. Presumably that status doesn't include COVID, right? Winter is coming. We need these junior doctors. We need the senior consultants back by winter. So someone's got to give or people will die because Christmas Day service isn't good enough when you've got winter levels. We need a resolution. There will be some kind of compromise. I don't think junior doctors themselves really believe they're going to get 35%. There needs to be compromise and people need to talk and negotiate so that by the end of autumn, everything's sorted and everyone's back in place and everyone can do the job they want to be doing. All right, guys, thank you so much for this week. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, yeah, and before we go, sorry, one last thing is to say thank you very much to Maddie Searle, who's been our fantastic editor for the past eons on this podcast. Uh, she's going off to Pastors uh, New. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't keep her uh, because she's got like a full-time gig and you know we're only once a week on this podcast and she's been absolutely amazing and just been an absolute pleasure to work with you maddie it's been yeah. it's been so great honestly listen lovely listener you have you have no idea how much of my garbled nonsense maddie cuts out each week imagine 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 more garbled nonsense from me <laughs> right it's i mean no maddie maddie's wonderful so thank you very much yeah thank you maddie cheers maddie everyone listening will see you on threads and Instagram and Twitter and also Facebook. Diane Tatton, thank you very much as always, and I'll see you next week. You just heard a stripped media production.